Hump Day, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show, but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore, long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on May 13th of 2012 under the headline, Murder Defendant Acquitted Becomes First Female Lawyer. It's part one of a three-part series on Mary Leonard. Here we go. Most Oregon professional women can point to a truly amazing pioneer who opened her profession up to women. Physicians can look to Bethenia Owens Adair, who, despite her now-embarrassing enthusiasm for eugenics, was a giant in her field. Journalists have Abigail Scott Dunaway, about whom little more needs to be said. But attorneys? Not so much. Not that is if you believe the conventional wisdom on the subject. Oregon's first female attorney was a bit of an embarrassment. Or so they say. The conventional wisdom on Oregon's first-ever, quote, lady lawyer is that she was a grasping, crazy-eyed, but endearing borderline girl, grinding down all barriers through the sheer force of manic enthusiasm and professional-level nagging skills. Oh, and a murderess, too, her biographers hint darkly. It seemed she'd gotten into the profession of law after acquiring her husband's large estate through the simple expedient of murdering him before their pending divorce could be finalized. So the rumor goes. Then it adds she moved to Portland and proceeded to make herself notorious as a last-ditch defender for the clearly guilty down-and-out in police court and as a hard-drinking and unladylike mascot of sorts at social gatherings of young male attorneys half her age and, to top it all off, as an operator of boarding houses marketed winkingly to working prostitutes. Ah, stereotype. So comforting, so easy to laugh off. The truth of the Mary Leonard story will probably never be known, but it's a sure bet that it bears only a faint resemblance, at best, to that story. Mary's life was complicated and full of drama. On that, at least, everyone seems to agree. Originally from Switzerland, she came to the Dalles in 1875 to meet and subsequently marry a prosperous ferryman and hotelier and restaurateur named Daniel G. Leonard. She at the time was pushing 30, which at that time was an age at which women started worrying about spinsterhood. He was pushing 60. Their marriage lasted roughly two years before he sued her for divorce, claiming she was lazy and a spendthrift and had started refusing him what he referred to, perhaps tellingly, as his marital rights, and that she had started sleeping regularly with a telegraph lineman who was staying in his hotel at the time. She shot back that he had put her to work in the kitchen like a servant, worked her until her health broke, and then refused to pay for necessary medical treatment, refused to give her money, and treated her with physical cruelty. She denied, of course, sleeping with the lineman. While all this was being sorted out, the judge ruled that Daniel must pay separate maintenance since they were living apart. This he refused to do in defiance of the judge, prompting her to fire off an angry letter to him in which she implied, essentially, that she would exact a terrible revenge if he did not obey the judge and that he should watch his back. 
A few nights later, someone slipped into Daniel G. Leonard's house and plugged him in the head with a small-caliber pistol while he slept. There was no actual evidence that Mary had done it, but everyone assumed she had. First off, Daniel was apparently not a nice man, and the popular opinion on the subject was that he'd had it coming. So when, a year or so later, she was acquitted, it wasn't so much an exoneration as a justification. Not what you need if you want your neighbors to stop looking at you like you're Norman Bates. Nor did it help that her defense attorney was widely reported to have conducted a, quote, masterful defense. The implication being that the verdict had more to do with his skills than her lack of guilt. The timing of the crime also made it look bad for her. Had Daniel been murdered a few days later, after the divorce was final, she would have gotten nothing. But because he was murdered before the ruling could be made, she was his sole heir, and he was a fairly wealthy man. Thus, regardless of means or opportunity, she had motive in spades. And that was good enough for the rumor mill, and in 1877, being known as an over-30 adulterous, murderous, and almost divorcee, reputations didn't get much more ruined than that. Finding another husband was almost surely out of the question. She may also have felt her economic prospects in the Dells weren't that good. Certainly she could have continued to operate her almost ex-husband's business and most likely made a good living doing it, but apparently she'd had enough of Wasco County. So instead she moved to Portland and went into business as the proprietress of a boarding house in the wild, seedy neighborhood known as the North End, the corner of town near the waterfront north of Stark Street known as Old Town today. In the 1880s, the North End was the most dangerous part of town, home of Portland's skid road peopled with sailors on shore leave, thieves, ruffians, laid-off loggers, and temporarily wealthy gold miners and prostitutes of all kinds. It was to these folks that Mary now went into business, renting out rooms. Looking over Mary Leonard's life today from the safe distance of 130 years, it looks pretty likely that her decision to do this changed her life and Oregon history more radically than anyone ever imagined it could. We'll talk about how that played out next week. Key sources in this story have included works by Carrie Abrams, Myrna Aldrich, and much as I hate to give him any credit for it, Malcolm Clark Jr., Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulplet Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of Offbeat Oregon History come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶